This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman. It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up, and we've got a bunch of weighty topics to discuss today. A few of you viewers were asking me to talk about them, so we will. You can find the full index down below in the video description, so let's get to it. And before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. We have Ethan Jackson and Mel Nixter. Uh, Both of them gave via Patreon. And then Laji KGR contributed via our donor box page. I want to thank everyone for their contributions this week, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis. And of course, those of you who watch on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And this week's wrap up is being brought to you by our friends at Plex. Plex, of course, is my favorite media serving application where you can take all of the media that you own and control, put it on a server somewhere, whether it's your PC or a network attached storage device, and be able to access that content anywhere in the world. It's like running your own little private Netflix and Spotify all in one. It is a great utility, something that I use every single day, and I know a lot of you do as well. Uh, Plex has a premium version called Plex Pass that delivers additional features, including their live TV and DVR. They have mobile syncing for offline viewing, so you can download things to watch on a plane or something like that. You get free Plex apps across all platforms. Parental restrictions can be added to the mix, subtitle searching, early access to new features, and a whole lot more. Now, there is a lot you can do with Plex for free, and you can sign up for a free Plex account without a credit card at lon.tv slash Plex. That's an affiliate link. We'll get a little commission for that along with the Plex Pass link on screen here. And there's a lot coming to Plex on the free tier that I am excited about, uh, namely the fact that they've got a couple of Hollywood studios lined up to provide ad-supported free video. Uh, That's movies and TV shows. They just announced Lionsgate about a week and a half ago, and last month they announced Warner Brothers. So there's a big level of content coming to the platform that you can use alongside with the other stuff you already have on your server. And I think it's going to be a great development for the platform. And of course, we'll cover all of that once it's released. So I want to thank Plex for their ongoing support of the channel. Their support really helps keep the lights on around here. And speaking of lights, we'll move on now to the weekend review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed and set up the Wise Plugs. And then on the main channel, we reviewed them. Uh, They're really handy little devices that don't cost all that much money, about 20 bucks for the set of two. And if you're interested to see how they work, you can check out the review. They really just turn on and off, but it's how you integrate them with other things that makes them uh, much more interesting. So you can see that review linked down below in the master playlist. Uh, Yesterday, we uploaded a review of the Hori D-Pad Joy-Con replacement for the Nintendo Switch. I noticed the Switch Lite has that really nice D-pad on it. At least it looks nice, but I didn't want to buy a whole new system to get a D-pad in portable mode. And sure enough, a little browsing on Amazon led me to this thing that was only about 15 bucks, and it works pretty well, actually. I'm quite happy with it, to be honest with you. So you can check out the full review again in the master playlist. And then I also uploaded the 
full panel that I did with Retro RGB the other day. It was a great collab. I don't do enough collabs, so it was really fun to uh, do something with another YouTuber who I really enjoy uh, watching here on the platform. And we talked all about FPGA-based game consoles and what the implications of those devices are for the future of retro gaming and hardware and software preservation. It was a longer talk, but it was really good, I thought, and all the technology worked on stage, so we were able to bring in a lot of footage from the devices we were talking about while we were talking about them. Uh, so you can see that again in the master playlist, and I also just added it to my podcast feed so you can listen to it on the go. Now, there was one big story in the news that caught my eye, and that, of course, relates to net neutrality. Uh, We did a lot on this topic a few months ago, right around the time the FCC was making their big decision as to whether or not to eliminate uh, the net neutrality regulations that the prior FCC administration had put in place. And this, of course, immediately went to court, and an appeals court has now ruled on the FCC's decision And what happened here, it's very complex, but basically both sides ended up getting something out of this decision. So the FCC is able to keep its regulation or lack thereof in place. Uh, And the uh, opposition also has a win here because the FCC will not be able to restrict states from implementing their own net neutrality rules for their consumers So if a state wanted to say there is net neutrality in our state and you can't do X, Y, or Z, uh, they will be able to do that, at least under this ruling. I expect this to go another round in court because the FCC has to go back and redraft their decision. Uh, So it's likely this might end up back at an appeals court or go all the way up to the Supreme Court, which is probably likely. And all of this is happening in the vacuum of Congress not actually doing anything about it. So we'll have to see uh, how all of this plays out. But what's interesting in reading a further story here on Axios is how different the landscape is now versus what it was when we were having this discussion before. And what the Axios article here is talking about is the fact that uh, the big tech companies are worried about other things beyond just net neutrality at the moment. Uh, Namely, it's uh, getting broken up by the government, actually, and antitrust investigations and all the other regulations that lawmakers are thinking about putting on the social media platforms. They're kind of distracted away from some of the other things that are going on. And I think a lot of big platforms kind of looked at the FCC's decision as an inevitable thing and started making deals to prevent it from interrupting their business practices. So, for example, uh, last year Comcast and Netflix got together. Uh, Comcast will actually now bundle Netflix service uh, with their other services on their Infinity X1 platform. And, of course, Netflix has been paying Comcast to co-locate equipment in Comcast facilities so they can deliver video content to customers much faster than they would if they were outside of the network. And these kinds of deals were happening even before net neutrality because there are just some uh, engineering issues related to how the Internet works, and it's always better to be on the inside of the local customer's network than on the outside of it. And, of course, Comcast and other uh, Internet providers being in a very um, almost monopolistic position in this industry have the ability to extract a lot of money from these companies for the uh, rental fees and other things that go with that co-location. Uh, another company that made a deal with Comcast right around the same time was uh, the company in which we are appearing on right now, which is YouTube. Uh, Comcast also has YouTube on the X1 cable system. And if you are on Comcast, uh, you've probably seen just how fast those YouTube videos spin up when you go to push the button. 
Uh, if you're a premium subscriber like me, it's almost instantaneous, and that's because YouTube uh, likely also paid to co-locate facilities with Comcast to make sure that YouTube viewers on Comcast services get very quick access to the video. So a lot of the issues that I think the big tech companies were raising uh, have probably been settled, at least in the sense that they've just paid for the access and they're ready to move on to the next big thing. But it will be interesting to see how states react to this and what they decide to do and what the ISPs will decide to do in, uh, in response to those state decisions. So we'll be talking a lot more about this as time goes on. Uh, I might try to get a few folks from Connecticut on to talk about what happens or what will happen perhaps in my state. I think it might be an interesting discussion just to see uh, what these legislators are thinking about. If you think that would be interesting, let me know and I will double my efforts to get some folks on to talk about it. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Alex, who's wondering my thoughts related to breaking up big tech companies like Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, and what that might mean for what we all consume here on the internet, both through content, but also through products, like in the case of Amazon. And I think it's more and more likely that some kind of change is going to happen. I'm not sure what it's going to look like just yet. I don't think anybody does, but we are seeing a very bipartisan push to investigate these companies. I do think both parties have different ideas as to what should happen as as the outcome of this investigation and this discussion, but uh, given that both parties are focused on this together in a very uh, organized way, leads me to think that uh, we're going to see some changes probably in the next three to four years about how these companies operate and what rules govern their activities. And this is going to be something that we'll be talking about a lot as time goes on here. Uh, This link here is to a New York Times article where uh, just about every attorney general in the country has gotten together on investigating Google and Facebook. Uh, The U.S. government is looking at Amazon right now for its trade practices. So there's just going to be a lot of discussion here happening. And irrespective of who wins the presidential election here in 2020, I think we're going to start seeing some changes occur. And the big question is, what changes will these things be? And you have to look at these companies in, I think, the way everyone is going to approach this problem, which is that uh, Google, Facebook, and Amazon are platforms, but they also do business on their own platforms. And I think that's where a bulk of this concern is coming from. So in the case of Google, for example, uh, Google, first and foremost, is a search engine. That's how they got started. That's where they make most of their money. But they're making their money through their own ad platform. So Google owns Google AdWords, and if you want to place an ad in Google search, you have to place that ad with Google. So the concern here is that Google owns the search engine and the ad platform that sits on top of it, and as such, they can put their own products in a better position versus their competitors. And this is a great example of some of the issues that have been raised by their competitors over the years. Uh, So this is a search I just did of flights from Las Vegas to Hawaii, And you can see here front and center is a breakdown of all the different flights I can book directly through Google. Uh, So there are services like Kayak that have argued that this alone is anti-competitive because Kayak doesn't have access to this ad placement. All of these flights are being advertised through Google, but Google competitors that do this travel service business don't have access to this particular ad placement. Uh, American Express here is above them, 
but certainly my eyes are drawn to this map and a bunch of prices that are right here front and center. And Google is in a dominant position because they control the search engine and the ad platform and their competitors are not able to gain access to this area. And they have argued over many years that this is an anti-competitive practice because Google owns the search engine and the ad platform that runs on it. And they want more fair access to that. They're willing to pay for it, but they can't even do that right now based on how Google runs the ad platform on their search engine. And we can make the argument by saying, well, you know, this is Google's thing. They can do whatever they want with it. But because they have so much market dominance, it's often hard to compete uh, on another search engine that might give you this front and center placement. Another example might be something like the Nest thermostat. Google makes actual physical products. And if they're able to put ads in certain positions that their competitors can't get to, uh, that would put them at an advantage, again, given the search engine's market dominance. And that's, I think, some of the things that might be looked at over the course of these bipartisan investigations. Uh, here's a great example from YouTube that I looked up last night. So I loaded up my non-premium account just to get a feel for what's going on on uh, YouTube ad th ads these days. And I couldn't believe it. I had two minutes of pre-roll ads before I could even watch a video that I went to. I didn't realize it had gotten that bad, but it has. Uh, and along with this ad that's running, YouTube is running a special ad that nobody else can get access to here for their cable television service. They're not letting Sling in this special little pop-up thing. They're not letting anyone else in there. But YouTube service gets a very special ad position because they own the platform here, YouTube. They own the ad platform and everything else. And they're able to give themselves a competitive advantage on really the number two website in the world. And YouTube is number two only to the number one site, which is owned by Google as well. And you can, again, see some of the concerns that are bubbling up here, because if I had an over-the-top cable service, I wouldn't have access to people the same way YouTube does. And of course, YouTube is not charging themselves for this ad placement, so they're getting a very valuable uh, competitive boost here for really no cost to YouTube TV at all. And like Google, Facebook controls the entire stack of their platform. They own the social media platform and the advertising platform. Facebook does, though, allow other ad networks to place ads on the right-hand side of the screen, but those ads are not as valuable as what you'll get by placing an ad directly with Facebook to show up in the newsfeed. And adding some complexity to the Facebook situation is the fact that they also own their competitors, essentially. Uh, you'll remember Facebook bought Instagram for a lot of money. Uh, I actually met the founder of Instagram a few days before they announced that deal. and He was looking very happy at the thing I was at. Uh, so I expect that uh, they were looking to compete with Facebook. Facebook saw this as an opportunity to gobble up a competitor before they got too big and they jumped on it for a lot of money, but it was money they could afford. Uh, likewise, they also bought up WhatsApp in a similar acquisition and that was, of course, a big competitor to Facebook's Messenger platform. And Facebook continues to operate all of these services separately and independently from each other. And some argue that these companies really should be independent and competing against Facebook. And, of course, Facebook controls the ad platform across all of these services. And that's something that regulators and politicians will also be looking at as this process continues. And the Amazon situation is really interesting to me because Amazon uh, owns a sales platform. There's an advertising platform on top of that sales platform. And Amazon is selling its own products on its platform against other companies who are competing with them. And Amazon controls a lot of sales data because they own that sales platform. 
And what you'll notice with these Amazon Basics products is that as they see certain consumer habits and preferences among different types of products, Amazon looks at that data and then makes their own version of it and can, presumably, put those products above their competitors as a result. So there's a lot of power and control that Amazon has here because they are selling their own products on a platform that they also own. Here's a good example of a search I did the other day. I did a search here for an Android tablet, and look what I got, a whole bunch of Fire tablets first, and they are occupying all these sponsored positions here. I have no way of knowing if people clicking on these sponsored ads will generate a cost to uh, one Amazon department versus another, but nonetheless, what I'm seeing first and foremost here when I search for Android tablet are a bunch of things that Amazon has put up in front of me for their own products versus those from their competitors. And this is something you should definitely uh, expect to be looked at by regulators as time goes on here. Uh, a real infamous example of how this kind of works is when Apple uh, approached Amazon and they managed to take all of the third-party sellers of Apple iPads essentially off the platform to give Apple its own spot there. Uh, and that was something that a lot of people argued was also anti-competitive, especially for businesses that were legitimately selling refurbished used iPads on the platform. Many of them were taken down completely by Apple's request because Amazon has the power to do that. Again, another example of how owning the platform can give you significant competitive advantages, both for you as a company and those companies you make deals with. And that's something that regulators will also be taking a look at as they go through all of these companies' practices. So the big question is, are these companies going to be broken up or regulated? Uh, my prediction is that they will be regulated, but a lot of this depends on who wins the presidential election in 2020, because the president ultimately appoints the Justice Department, and the Justice Department is the arm of the government that does this kind of work. And we'll have to just see who we get in the White House and what their opinion is of this issue. Uh, if you do plan on voting in the primaries this year or next year, uh, you should go and look at the candidates that you're considering and see what their position is on this particular topic. They'll likely have it up on their website. Some are very much in favor of breaking everything up and reversing all of these different mergers that have happened over the years. Others are taking a more measured approach, and we'll just have to see who gets elected. But ultimately, uh, it's very hard to force companies to break up through legal action, and it might take a very long time to have that occur. Uh, Microsoft was involved with an antitrust thing for years, and it really kind of sputtered out towards the end with them agreeing to some uh, regulation and just putting the whole thing to bed uh, once presidential administrations turned over. So I think this is likely going to go in the direction of regulation so that whoever is driving the White House and the Justice Department can claim victory. And of course, the companies want to get out of this still being intact. Uh, in fact, Mark Zuckerberg is asking to be regulated. He just wants the regulation to come so that he can keep his company in one piece. And I think ultimately uh, that is what's going to happen. Uh, so what would that regulation look like? Well, I think it would probably require these platform holders to uh, not be able to take competitive advantages uh, out of the fact that they own the platform itself. So it might mean that Google would have to open up uh, its ad sales to other platforms. It would mean that Google can't control those search positions the way they do now. It means that you would not see a YouTube TV pop up in a place where their competitors couldn't get access to it. 
And to some degree, they might have to make sure there's a way for them to uh, pay for the ad space that they're using through some of this regulation. We'll have to see how they engineer all of that. Uh, but I think that's likely the scenario. This was actually very similar to what happened in the early days of broadband. Uh, my first DSL connection, even though it was connected by my phone company, was actually with a local ISP here because the federal government required phone companies to allow competitors into their uh, central offices to provide broadband service over the phone company's wires. They deemed that uh, the phone company had a monopoly, essentially, and they had to offer competitive broadband the same way they offered competitive dial-up. And there was a lot of early startup businesses here, at least in my area, that were offering DSL service through the phone company. Uh, that, of course, has fizzled out, but it was really cool to have some choice in broadband early on and it was because the government said you got to treat this platform that you have a monopoly over evenly and allow your competitors on it. Uh, and unfortunately, that did not apply to cable companies. And here we are. So uh, we'll have to see where this all goes. But I think that's likely where we're going to see this uh, whole investigation end up is with some kind of regulation and fairness. Uh, there was an article on CNET from the YouTube CEO who, of course, said splitting from Google wouldn't do consumers any good. And I actually wonder whether or not YouTube could even survive on its own because Google has never reported YouTube's earnings. We don't know what profitability, if any, there is with YouTube. They might just be continually building this thing or maybe just consider it part of their overhead. And if they were to separate it out, it might not, might, might not exist on its own. So if you have people out there really you know, hammering away at breaking up Google and splitting YouTube off from it, it might put me out of business. If there's no YouTube, I have no business at all. And I think there's a lot of portions of our economy that would suffer by taking actions without really thinking about the impact of them. And that's one area where I'm very concerned about because I don't know if YouTube, again, can survive as an independent company. And that would really stifle a lot of independent voices out there. And I think there's so much opportunity on these platforms that uh, we really should be focusing on making them fair uh, so that everyone has an equal chance to compete. Uh, but be very careful of just breaking things up because it sounds good to do. So one of the things I will be doing as a voter in the 2020 election is taking a lot of time to research the position of the various candidates asking for my vote uh, on this particular topic because it does impact my livelihood. And I want to make sure that whoever does get in the White House will approach this rationally. I think there is a need to bring some fairness to how these platforms work, but we have to be very careful that we don't blow up a sector of the economy and bring back gatekeeper-controlled media that prevents independent voices from being heard. And that's how I will be exercising my vote, and hopefully you'll be doing the same when it comes time to jump into the voting booth. All right, so let's get back now to gadgets, because we do have to get on the internet to use these platforms, right? Uh, so Dan Michaels wrote in on the Facebook group about the new Surface uh, devices coming out from Microsoft, and they really announced a lot of stuff. And I really have grown to appreciate the industrial design that goes into what Microsoft has been putting together. They've got really beautiful looking products. They are competitive with uh, you know, some of the best stuff that Apple or Dell or Lenovo makes. And they've got a great line here. The Surface, of course, has been very successful for them. I absolutely love my little Surface Go tablet that I use quite a bit. It's a great Windows device. And now they've got more stuff, including two PCs, that are not running with Intel processors. That was interesting to me. Uh, they also have a new phone running Android that's got two screens, but it doesn't have a foldable screen, just two separate ones. Uh, and of course, their new earbuds. 
And I wanted to talk a bit about the ARM device first because I was really hoping and expecting that the ARM-based Surface would be the next generation of the Surface Go because I really believe these ARM-based Windows devices need to be at the four or $500 price point, uh, not the $1,000 starting point they're offering the Surface X at here. Uh, so this is being marketed essentially as a full-blown Surface PC. And after you get the keyboard and the pen, uh, you're going to be into this thing for probably $1,500 or more, depending on what configurations you choose. And you're going to be getting a machine that will likely perform at around the lowest cost Intel device will perform. And I think that's a hard thing to justify to folks. Certainly battery life is better with these versus the Intel equivalent, uh, but it's not that much better that uh, you should be taking such a huge performance hit. But I would have expected it to be on something less expensive because it would be a bump up from what they currently have on the Surface Go. And I think it's better suited for a lower cost device. So I just don't think this one's going to be a big successful product for Microsoft. But they have uh, put some effort in with Qualcomm to jointly develop a ARM or an ARM processor to uh, work with Windows. And hopefully this will be the start of something. And I would hope that as they continue to develop the ARM platform that they do get it into some of these low price devices because I think that's where it's really going to sell. So we'll have to see how this one does. I don't think it will do well, but I do hope that Microsoft stays committed to the ARM platform and delivers us lower cost options next year. So keep an eye on that. Uh, there is an AMD Surface Laptop 3. Uh, but it is on the pricey side, especially given that you're looking at $2,100 here for 16 gigs and an AMD Ryzen 7. Uh, certainly it will have better graphical performance than an i7 would on its own, but you could probably get a decent PC with a discrete GPU for about that price or less. Uh, so that is the AMD offering, and unfortunately they're not going to have the AMD available in a 13-inch device. I think a 13-inch Surface Laptop 3 with an AMD option would have been killer, and I would have been all over that, but unfortunately it's only in the larger 15-inch one. I often have a hard time getting products from Microsoft into review, and given their cost, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to buy them and resell them given the viewership that I typically get on those. So We'll have to keep an eye on these. If you get one and want to lend it to me, I'm happy to borrow it for a week and send it back to you. Uh, so I will try to get one of these things in at some point, both the AMD and the ARM one, uh, but just don't expect it just because of the cost point here. But we'll try our best to get something and give you a nice review of it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on these ARM chips. Uh, do you think these should be inexpensive machines or inexpensive ones? Uh, let me know what you think down in the comments below. Uh, because we're going to probably see something from Apple very shortly as well. And I'm really eager to see what will be the thing, the device that really makes ARM work as a PC. Right now, I don't think they've hit the right price point to really have it take off as an alternative platform. And this last question is one that we got at the panel discussion last week and also asked here by Winston Smith about how many times can you write to an FPGA chip? And that, of course, is the chip that's in the MISTER that we looked at in the panel discussion, along with the analog devices. And we weren't sure as to the answer to that question at the panel itself. Uh, so Bob at RetroRGB did a little bit of research and found this article from Intel. And if you look here on the uh, last paragraph, you'll see that there is no limit because the FPGA devices are SRAM-based. And as a result of that, they can be reconfigured as many times as a design requires, and there is no specific limit. Uh, you might be feeding that FPGA with flash memory, for example, which might have a limit of its own, 
but in most cases, the FPGA itself can be written to as many times as you want uh, without any issues. Uh, this article also links to a uh, stress test that they put the device under. You can see here the Cyclone 5 chip that's in the Mister uh, was subjected to 2.1 million hours of stress conditions and had zero fails. I don't know if that was a number of writes and rewrites or if it was just operating, uh, but nonetheless, I think you can uh, make your Mr. Project B whatever you want as many times as you want uh, without any repercussions for that activity. And our pick of the week this week is a really cool documentary that the Nostalgia Nerd did a few weeks ago on the old virtuality VR system from the 90s. Uh, this was something that you would see in shopping malls and amusement parks and whatnot. As you can see, the headsets were enormous. The frame rate was 20 frames per second sometimes, and it wasn't all that uh, immersive, but it was a start, and it was kind of ahead of its time. And this documentary really gives you a real appreciation for what they were able to accomplish. Unfortunately, the company fizzled out, uh, but these units are still out there, and he found a place that is keeping them working at a museum uh, so you can see what they look like today and go back in time and see how the whole thing got developed. I thought this was a really well-done piece by the Nostalgia Nerd. He does a lot of great work on this stuff, and you definitely want to check this out if you have an interest in VR. So this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of stuff to take a look at. I am finally going to get this review of the Blink cameras up online. The review is shot, it's edited, it's in my queue. I just haven't found the right spot to slot it into yet because we did a home smart home device the other day with the plugs here and I wanted to not put up another one right after it. So this one will definitely be up in the next day or two. Uh, these are great little security cameras, probably better for notifications than monitoring, uh, but they do work well for the price point. And of course, there's no subscription with them, which is what I like the most about them. You'll get my full review very shortly, so stay tuned on that. Uh, we're also going to take a look at a battery from Lenovo that can output 45 watts through its USB-C port. And there's a lot of smart little engineering decisions they made on this battery that I thought were just kind of neat. And I haven't looked at a USB-C battery that could output that much power before, so we'll be exploring that a bit in this video. There are some others out there, of course, that can deliver the same a level of power out the back there, but this was the first one I looked at. And it also charges via USB-C as well, so you can get the whole battery charged in about two hours versus like overnight for some of the other USB battery banks that are out there. So be on the lookout for that. I'm gonna have something else up as well. I don't know what yet. We're going through the office here trying to figure out what we're going to get done next. So there will be some surprises this week. Nothing crazy cool, but stuff that will get up in addition to these two things. So stay tuned for that. And if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or a one-time contribution to the channel. We're also supporting the YouTube membership program. Uh, so if you'd prefer to do that, we can take you there too. And you get a nice little icon next to your name uh, when you do make a contribution via the YouTube membership. We are uh, welcome to anyone who wants to help the channel, of course. And then, of course, we have our Plex uh, thing that we've got arranged with the find folks at Plex. So if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger one if you sign up for a Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else for the upcoming holiday season. And of course, we have other channels. My Extras channel is where we do unboxings, mini reviews, and supplementary content. We have the podcast where we take this show and a few other things that I do and put them up in audio format. We have the Snippets channel that pulls out pieces of this show and puts them up as standalone videos for better search optimization. 
And we've got the live stream archive where every live stream I've ever done has been archived and you can watch me for tens of hours if you want. I certainly wouldn't want to do that, but maybe you want something on in the background, have at it. And of course, we'll try to do more and more live streams as scheduling allows. I also ask that if you like what I do to click the notification bell so you get notified every time we do anything here on the channel or go live. Uh, you can engage with me on my email list at lon.tv slash email. We have a Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook where we put some of the extras channel content up on. And I've really been uh, excited about our Facebook group. It's very active. We've got uh, over 700 members in there now. It's been a great source of material for this show. So if you haven't signed up yet, please do, because it'd be great to have you as part of that discussion. What I like most about it is that I can connect uh, people with me on the channel, but also with each other. And that's something that YouTube doesn't always make so easy, is that uh, cross-subscriber uh, interaction there. So you can sign up there for that. And then, of course, we've got the store at lon.tv store, where I sell previously used items that we've reviewed here on the channel uh, we've got that iPad 7th generation up there at a cost below retail. If you don't like the price, email me an offer and maybe we'll make a deal or something. I'm eager to get that one out the door. Got a couple of other things we'll probably put up later in the week as well. And if you want to be notified every time I add something to the store, you can go to lon.tv slash store alert to get an email notification when those things go live. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for suggesting uh, content for this show because that really does help uh, get us the, uh, the rundown here for what we talk about. And I also want to thank you all for your comments, suggestions, and support. And I look forward to seeing you very shortly as we upload more stuff to the channel. Keep those comments coming. And until next time, this is Lon Sivan. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Chris Allegretta, Tom Albrecht, Mike Talbert, Brian Parker, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.